Happy Sabbath. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the New International Version of Jeremiah 29:11. A little of the backstory behind this, it comes from a letter written by Jeremiah to exiles, exiled leaders and elders. Within the letter, he quotes the words of God, which I'm going to read. And um, you can apply the text to, let's say, God answering a prayer. It, it would be a reply from God for a prayer in need. And so the text says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's always good to be back, uh, Santa Clarita. Nice to be here. Now is the time to get out the outline that you have there in your bulletin for our message today, which I've entitled Living with Hope. Living with Hope. When I think of the wise men as they were making their way and seeing the signs and approaching the baby Jesus, there must have been an overwhelming sense and feeling of hope. Hope really is the key word that will make the difference in 2009. And certainly if we ever needed hope, we need it now, don't we? It just seems that the signs all around us are indicating that uh, there's a lot of hopelessness, but we need hope. And um, so I want to talk a little bit about this word that will make the difference in 2009, whether you endure the year or whether you enjoy the year. Hope. It is a significant thing. Now, as I've preached here before, you know that uh, just to kind of keep you awake and make sure that you're listening, I will say, get it. And you will say, got it, and I'll say, good. Okay, let's try that. Get it? Good, good. All right. Sounds like you're all set and ready to go. The first thing we have up here is the scripture that was just read. This is one of my favorite. I don't know about you, but uh, I just love the way that this is put. You know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You notice those two words, hope and future, are connected, aren't they? I mean, how can you have a future if you don't have a sense of hope? Hope is really the very thing that keeps us going, that uh, makes life worthwhile, that gives us purpose to life. So what I want to do to begin with, uh, there on your outline, is take a look at some of the things you have when you have hope. Some of the things that you have when you have hope. If I have hope, here's the first thing, write this down. I can get started. <laughs> I can get started. I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, we have difficulty getting started in the morning. I don't know if you're a morning person or not. But getting up and getting going and getting started, having reasons to get started, uh, centers around how much hope you have, how hopeful you are when it comes to the day uh, that you're going to be um, entering into, what kind of hope you have in the day. So, with hope, you can get started. The Bible tells us very clearly in Isaiah, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. There's a source of strength that comes from hope. I know that when I provide pastoral care, particularly for those that are terminally ill, when they lose hope, they lose life. Their will to live ceases when they lose hope. And it's true for all of us. If we are hopeless, we are restless. And when we are hopeless, we simply just can't seem to get started. We don't have the desire and the ability to get started. 
Number two, if you have hope, you can live with, and you fill in the blank. You can live with, maybe it's a person. Don't look at them. (laughs) Maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. (laughs) You know, whatever it might be, when you have hope, you have the power and ability to live with all kinds of circumstances and situations that come up. And you're going to have them. There are going to be all kinds of situations that you don't even know about that are going to occur in 2009. And so you need something you can lean on. You need hope to sustain yourself and get you through it. The Bible tells us very clearly here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 9, And this is Paul who is referring to his own struggles when he says, we had great burdens there that were beyond our own strength. We even gave up hope of living. But notice this. This happened so that we would not trust in ourselves, but what? Trust in God. There are times when we wonder whether there is hope, whether we can really see. Alice Chadwick is the famous female swimmer that swam from... Uh, well, she, she swam from Catalina to the mainland of California. But her first attempt wasn't so successful. And the reason was because she, as she was swimming along, she got off just the coast of California, and that California fog rolled in. And she couldn't see the coastline anymore. And she couldn't see where she was going, so she gave up just a quarter of a mile from her goal. <laughs> Then she decided to do it a second time, and this time, ironically, the fog rolled in again. (laughs) But this time, she kept going right through the fog because she knew that there was land beyond the fog. Sometimes in our lives, we get into situations and circumstances where we feel as if we're in a fog. You know, we can't quite see ourselves clearly through it. We're in a dark fog, like a dark tunnel. And sometimes in those circumstances, we can't always see God either. And we wonder where God is in those moments. But my guess is if I would go around the sanctuary here and talk to you in your experience, many of you would say, yes, there were times in my life when I didn't know exactly where God was. But when I made it through the fog, when I kept going in spite of that, and I looked back, then I could see the way God had been working all along. So, you know, we can get started, we can live with all kinds of circumstances and situations. And then number three, write this down. I can go on. I can go on. Sometimes we reach points in our lives when we just wonder if we can have the energy to keep going. Because there's a lot of circumstances and situations that sap and take energy from us that keep us from having the strength and ability to sustain ourselves and keep moving. But when we have hope, we can go on. Scripture tells us that to be truly glad there is a wonderful joy ahead even though the going is rough for a while down here. And it's going to be. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in 2009. We don't know what the circumstances are going to be. You know, your pastor and his wife, Greg and Jill, and my wife, Leanne, and I just had the privilege of uh, traveling over to the Holy Land first part of December. And uh, what a joy and privilege and, and great amazing experience that was. We were able to do an extension into Jordan and uh, see those wonderful carved temples in Petra, amazing sights to behold. Now, of course, there's tremendous conflict going on. And when you think of the conflict and, you know, those 
thousands and thousands of years of, of conflict that has uh, taken place between the various peoples of those countries, you just wonder, is there any hope? You know, what's going to happen in those circumstances and situations? But we must have hope. We have to hang on to hope. Hope is really what sustains us and gives us the power to go on, gives us the power to live with all kinds of things. It gives us the power to get started. And number four, write this down. It also, <laughs> with hope, I can slow down. I can slow down. How many here need to slow down? <laughs> you know? When too much becomes too important, we need to slow down. We need to slow down. Let me test and see if you're of the baby boomer generation. Let's see. Um, oh, how does it go? It goes, uh, let's see. Um, I've even forgotten. Hmm. Let's see. Slow down. You move too fast. You gotta make the morning last. Tripping down the cobblestones. Looking for fun and feeling groovy. <laughs> groovy! <laughs> we gotta slow down. You know, we get in too much of a hurry. And uh, it ruins life. Uh, we pass by the very things that make life really meaningful and important. The smile of a child, the relationships, the, the key things. You know, relationships with each other and with God. Those are the two critical things in life. When we avoid those, we cease to live. We have to really focus on those things that can help us to, to slow down. And when we have hope, we can slow down. You know, we don't have to take things so seriously, <laughs> but we can take God seriously. I find rest in God, only he gives me hope, the psalmist says. Isn't that true? Find hope. So we can get started, and we can live with all kinds of things, and we can keep going, and, and we certainly, you know, can slow down. And then here's another interesting dimension to hope that maybe you hadn't thought of. But hope, and the sense of hope, gives us also respect for ourselves so that we can do what is right. And that brings us to the final one. If we have hope, I can say no. I can say no. When I'm confronted with the culture that wants us to go one way or the other way and all the influences of that culture, when we have hope, when we have hope in God, it gives us the power to say no. It gives us the power to say, I want the kind of abundant life that Christ has come to this earth to demonstrate. That's why he came. He said, I have come so that you can have life and have it abundantly. And so he's put in place a way of living that gives us the optimum in life. And when we have hope, we can say no to those things that destroy our lives and say yes to those things that Christ has provided that gives us fulfillment in life. I like the way the scripture puts it here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in Christ keeps himself pure just as Christ is pure. It's a beautiful thing that Christ provides us that kind of abundance. When we embrace it with hope, then we can live it each and every day. So it raises a question, I suppose, and that question is, how do we get this hope? Would you like to have those things, huh? Get it? Yeah, well, you didn't really get it. You were a little slow there. Get it? Good, good, okay. So how do we get the hope? Well, let me give you the assembly line of hope, and 
some of you aren't going to like this too much, but this is the way it is, is the way scripture, uh, you know, tells us. So uh, here it is right here in Romans chapter 5, verse 4. Notice this progression. We also rejoice in our sufferings. Ooh. Because we know, here it is, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character what? Hope. There is the progression right there. So this is the first thing you have to do in order to have hope. Write this down on your outline. (laughs) Get a problem. (laughs) Anybody have a problem with this one? (laughs) Nope. No problem with this one. In fact, some of you probably have extra problems that you'd be happy to make available to someone who may not have one. (laughs) Will you have problems in 2009? Yes, of course you will. You know that word problem in the Bible actually is the root word in which we get in English, pirate. And it seems appropriate because problems are like pirates. You know, they ambush us. Uh, We don't always know when they're going to come. They sneak up on us and... uh, So we need to have the ability to cope with those problems as they come. But they are inevitable. They will come. Number two, practice patience with that problem. Practice patience with that problem. This is the hard one, isn't it? It's hard for us to be patient when we're in the midst of difficulty and struggle. We want to run ahead of God. We want to figure it out for ourselves. We want to, you know, take care of it ourselves. I mentioned to you our trip to Israel and Jordan and our extension into Jordan. And uh, they had us, with, there were eight of us out of, there was all 29 of us actually in this clergy group and spouses that uh, tra- traveled through the Holy Land through Israel. And then there were eight of us that took the extension to Jordan. So they put the eight of us into a little mini bus and they drove us up to the border uh, and it's the King Hussein Bridge, they call it. It's kind of interesting because the Japanese actually built the bridge. (laughs) But it's the King Hussein Bridge. And they took us up there because they thought that would be the easiest place to cross. You can get your visa right there and it wouldn't take very long. That was their words. It wouldn't take very long. The one thing we hadn't counted on is that we were crossing the day before a major Muslim holiday. There were like hundreds and hundreds of Muslims crossing the border at the same time we were. So there we were, eight Americans standing among hundreds of Muslims, (laughs) all of them with their passports in the air, yelling and screaming and, you know, trying to, you know, get across to get their passports stamped and so forth. And all I can say is God bless our Muslim guide. He took our passports, he took the visa fees, he waded into the crowd, he was waving our passports and yelling and screaming (laughs) to get them up to the counter so that they could be processed. Three hours it took us to cross the border. (laughs) And you know, the Jordan River at that particular point has got to only be about, I don't know, 20 yards long. I mean, it's just almost a stream there. Three hours it took us to cross uh, into into, uh, Jordan. Patience. We're not the kind of people that like to wait. We're always in a hurry. And yet, we have to practice patience sometimes with the struggles and difficulties we have. I'll tell you, when you travel, you have to (laughs) practice patience because you never know when you're going to have to wait. But we're in a a hurry-up culture. Everything is fast. 
You know, it's got to be done quick and fast. We have fast food, we have fast cars, everything is fast. I was in line at uh, McDonald's, a drive-through the other day, and, and there was this, uh, this big uh, four-by-four, several cars back. You know, those four-by-fours, you know, they sit way up high. And, and the guy was sticking his head out the window, and he was yelling and screaming, Hurry up! Hurry up! You know, like, that's going to really hurry things up. I turned to my daughter and I said, I hope he's getting a happy meal. <laughs> I mean, he needs help. <laughs> Practice patience with that problem. The Bible tells us if we must keep trusting God for something that hasn't happened yet, it teaches us to wait patiently and confidently. And I know sometimes it's hard to do that. You're looking for a job. Man, it's taken a long time. You're dealing with a health problem. and They can't seem to figure out what it is. You're dealing with a financial issue and you don't know what's going to happen. You know, sometimes in the waiting, we discover a strength of faith that only can come in the waiting. Have you ever noticed, by the way, that when you wait for something, it really has an effect on whether you want it or not? When you have to wait for it, it really tests whether you want it or not. Sometimes God uses that to test our desires and our willingness to wait. That's for sure. The Bible also says the scripture gives us patience and encouragement so that we can have hope. There is power in the scripture. So what do you do while you're waiting? Why, you open up God's word and you find truth. Do you know that truth and trust are parallel? The more truth you have, the more you trust. That's true with relationships too. The more truthful and honest someone is, the more you trust them. The more that you absorb yourself in God's truth, the more trust you build, the more faith you build, the more hope you build, and the more patience you build as well. So, get a problem. No problem there. <laughs> Be patient with that problem, that's for sure. And number three, uh, develop character. <laughs> develop character. This is part of the tough part, you know. Develop character. Do you know that God is more interested in your character than in your comfort? Get it? Yeah, some of you don't want to get it. <laughs> but it's true. He's more interested in your character than in your comfort. And he takes circumstances and situations. He doesn't cause them. He doesn't always cause them. Uh, don't make any mistake. God is not the author of evil. But he takes circumstances and situations in your life and he uses them in powerful ways to develop who you are. And when you look back on those experiences in your own life, as many of you can testify to, what you have become is part and parcel of those experiences and how you've handled them. Part of the problem is we tend to look at Christ through our circumstances rather than our circumstances through Christ. When we allow Christ to be the source of our hope and strength, our circumstances take on a whole different perspective because he becomes the basis of our strength. A lot of it has to do with our own feelings about ourselves, you know, where we get our own sense of value. When we get our sense of value from God and his grace and his love, then we're not susceptible to all the other things around us that tend to either value us or not value us. Put your sense of who you are on God and he'll give you the power and he will help you develop your character. The Bible tells us, don't try to squirm out of your problems. <laughs> By the way, 
There are a couple of ways that people try to do this. One is people try to run from their problems. But have you noticed that when you run from your problems, it's like running in a circle? You just come back to them again. You don't, you, don't, you don't deal with them. You just come back to them again. Maybe the names have changed. Maybe the circumstances change. But the problems don't change until you deal with those problems. Now, some of us are just in denial, you know? We just deny that there's a problem. It's like people who, you know, hear a noise in their car when they're driving and they somehow turn the radio up or <laughs> pretend that it's not there until it blows up in their face. You know, there are different ways that we deal with problems. But don't try to squirm out of your problems, the Bible says, for when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. Isn't that great? Allow that circumstance or situation to develop who you are in God. And then amazing things will happen in your life, that's for sure. Command those who are rich. This really fits for our current circumstance and situation financially in our country. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Put your hope in God in difficult times. So, get a problem. Not a problem. (laughs) Practice patience with that problem. Develop character. And then finally, and this is so important, Enjoy hope. Enjoy it. Embrace it. Enjoy the hope that you have. Enjoy the fact that we have hope. It's so important. You know, I had the privilege for nine years to be the pastor of uh, probably one of the best composers and songwriters, especially for men's voices uh, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and that was Wayne Hooper. And uh, Wayne and I had a great relationship as pastor and member, He would help me out musically whenever I did a sermon series, in fact, several series. He actually wrote an original composition for my sermon series. Can you imagine that? And every week, as the title of the series changed, he would alter the lyrics to fit with that particular subject. I have those. I treasure them uh, very much so. But, of course, he wrote really the signature song of Adventism. He wrote the song that... um, Uh, really captures the essence of what I'm trying to say. We have this hope that burns within our hearts. That, That metaphor, that picture of burning in your heart is just so important when we capture what's happening. Now you continue to celebrate the first advent of Jesus, and I think that's wonderful. What a great way to start the new year. But think also of the second advent of Jesus, because he's not only came once, but he's coming again. And we have great hope. And it sustains us and it gives us hope in this world as we're passing through to know that Jesus is coming again so that when we have the problems, we can deal with them patiently, we can develop the character that he wants us to, and then we can enjoy hope in our lives. Jesus himself, when he was on this earth, was resurrected. And the Bible tells us in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's conquered death. He has conquered this world, and it gives us tremendous hope when we understand that. The Bible says, I have hope when I think of this. The Lord's love never ends. His mercies never stop. Isn't that great to think of that? And this is wonderful in Isaiah. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Will not 
be disappointed. So, there you have it. Let me just, uh, you know, reiterate what I've already said, just in case you missed it. If I hope I can get started, I can live with you, fill in the blank. I can go on. I can slow down and take it easy, you know, not be in such a hurry. I can say no, and I can live the abundant life that Christ has promised me. How do I have hope? I get a problem. Not problem. I practice patience. I develop character. And then I enjoy hope. Get it? Good. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we go from this place, may your sense of love and grace for each of our lives give us hope. Help us to take hope from this place. Help us to take it deep into each one of our hearts so that uh, 2009 will be not a hopeless year, not a restless year, not a year with no purpose, but a year where you sustain us with your hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.